Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 99 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at electric motorbikes. Before we start, I wanted to let you know about something new. I know a lot of people find some of my work interesting and useful, and some people find a lot of it interesting and useful. Others find only little bits of interest, just the occasional topic and link. Horses for courses, I'm absolutely fine with that. Those who find it less useful, however, are understandably hesitant to do something like subscribe via the Patreon account and pay each month for something they only get partial value out of some of the time. So for those of you who want to support the podcast and newsletter financially, but don't want to commit to a regular monthly amount, I've set up a coffee account. The link is in the show notes, but it's basically co-fi, ko-fi.com slash evmusings, coffee.com slash evmusings. If you like this episode or any future episode, click the link, buy me a coffee. If you're paying with your iPhone, it lets you use Apple Pay, so it's frictionless, seamless and quick. There's no regular payment or locking. It's ad hoc and it's easy and it's very much appreciated. Our main topic of discussion today is electric motorbikes. We talked a lot on this podcast about various sorts of electrified transport. We've been through electric cars, electric planes, electric buses, electric boats. We've even had flying electric cars. One episode we did was on personal electric vehicles, and this included electric skateboards, one-wheelers, and electric pedal bikes. But one area we've so far ignored completely is that of electrified motorbikes and mopeds. Those of you who like to wallow in the Apple ecosystem will have probably had the opportunity to watch Long Way Up. This was the third in the series, with Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman riding bikes around various parts of the world. In this one, they were travelling from the southern tip of South America to Los Angeles. The difference this time was that they had electric Harley Davidsons that had been custom made for them, and they were heading up the Atacama Highway and God knows where else in South America. But their range was only 130 miles-ish in good weather, although originally they started in midwinter near the Antarctic and there was literally snow on the ground. This drained their range to about half of what they were expecting. They were doing well, but they'd have to stop for two or three hours to charge up in the middle of the day. Their bikes were fitted with Type 2 chargers, but there were no Type 2 charger units set up, so the chaps from Rivian, who were supporting them, had gone ahead and set up a whole load of charging stations for them. You know, just plug into the grid at regular intervals on the highway, just to give them something to actually charge, so it was an interesting series. I'm not sure how much it did for the uptake of electric bikes as a whole, but it was entertaining to watch. Obviously, having the money to source two custom-made electric Harley-Davidsons, a couple of prototype Rivian trucks, and a string of chargers installed just for you across your route is not something everyone can do when it comes to getting into electric motorbikes. So today, we're going to look at the actual electric motorbike market. We'll be talking to an electric motorbike owner and someone who sells them for a living. We'll discuss the market, the models, and what are the pitfalls and benefits. So what sort of range are you going to get on an electric bike? 60 miles, apparently. That's Sean Metcalf. Hi, I'm Sean, otherwise known as FC Fanboy, and uh, I ride an electric motorcycle. 60 miles, apparently. So that indicates that you're not getting that. So in a normal day-to-day run, do you get anywhere near that range? It's very much a usage case thing with with the bikes, obviously. Uh, and it depends what power mode you're riding in. Because I tend to vary it between modes two and three, which are the two higher powered modes, I get around about 45, maybe 50 miles if I'm lucky. I guess you'd expect this with electric bikes. 
they work on the same basis as electric cars. The same things impact range as impact range on a car, hills, weather, etc. So what about regen? Do electric motorbikes have that? Well, they're, they're, some of them will have um, regen where it will happen if you pull the brake. Mm-hmm. That's Jeremy Bora. Yes, yeah, so I'm uh, Jeremy Bora. I'm the owner of greenmopeds.com. We are a four-year-old company now that sells numerous brands of 100% electric lithium-ion-based uh, mopeds and motorcycles. Jeremy has been importing and selling electric motorbikes since 2016. He knows the market and capabilities of electric motorbikes and mopeds better than just about anyone in the UK. So what was he saying about Regen? Uh, a couple of them have it freewheeling. Right. Um, so a bit like the Tesla idea. So um, not all brands have Regen. Most of them have that sort of Regen where if you're pressing the brake, only a couple of brands have the sort of passive Regen where you're just you gain it back from from freewheeling. So let's take a look at a typical spec for an electric bike. And here's the first problem. There's no such thing as a typical spec for an electric bike. Same as a car. Um, For that sort of £1,400 model, you're going to get maybe a 20 mile range. Um, Then you go up from there, and these are all like 50cc equivalents. You're going to have, you know, up to maybe 40, 50 mile range still with a 50cc equivalent. There are a few that have bigger, bigger batteries again. Um, so you can use these for delivery tasks and, you know, uh, especially return to base delivery tasks. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have the 125cc equivalents. Um, they obviously go over 28 miles an hour, still can be ridden on a, uh, a CBT. Yeah. Uh, some that we do go 60 miles an hour, still do 60 mile range, still removable battery, still lithium ion based, etc, etc. All prices quoted are obviously with the government's subsidy that gives up to £1,500 rebate on the purchase price. So what about the bike that Shaw Metcalf has? I have a Super Soco TC Max, which is a 125 equivalent. And what's the spec on that? Uh, the battery is a 45 amp hour, uh, 72 volt, so it's about 3.25 kilowatt hours. And the motor is a three kilowatt rated or continuous and a five kilowatt peak. So a middle of the market motorbike with a 45 amp hour battery given a range of maybe 50 miles if lucky. This doesn't seem like a great deal for people who are used to something like a Honda 125 with a much bigger range. Now, Sean mentioned drive modes earlier. What, what was that? Uh, it alters the amount of power and the, and the top speed of the bike. So for instance, mode one gives you about 30 miles an hour it's and it limits the the amount of power mode two ups it to 40 miles an hour and gives it quite a sizable power increase to be honest and mm-hmm. mode three just opens the thing up and allows it to go up to 60 miles an hour or thereabouts see this is something that most bikes have it's their way of making more range in the battery if you want to but also allowing you to open up if needed there's one additional aspect of drive modes that you might find useful yeah, it's also another handy feature of it is that sometimes, not all the brands do this, but sometimes the modes happen to co- uh, correlate to speed limits. So, you know, when you're pooling around town and you're in a model in a 30, it might be that your mode one gets you to 28. So you, you can use it, and I, I do do it. I use it to make sure that, you know, I don't particularly have to think about the speed limit because I know I'm in one and it won't go above it. So how do companies wanting to use this for, say, last mile deliveries deal with it? You could, of course, add on extra batteries. So this is what the delivery people are doing. They're, they're taking bikes that have two batteries on board to give them a, a better range, but then keeping spares fully charged. So their riders are out 
and then they'll come back, swap batteries, and then carry on again. You'll notice the use of phrases such as a 125 equivalent when talking about electric bikes. That's because the power outputs are markedly different between electric and fossil fuel versions, as Jeremy explains. Petrol engines waste 70% of their energy. Yeah. These motors use over 70% of their energy. So it's really not a like-for-like. Like. And we do have to explain that to some people that you know, they say, oh, I get off my bike, it's 12 horsepower. You know, this one's only three. But it isn't, it isn't a fair comparison. So remember, when looking at electric bikes, it's not about the power rating. Due to the efficiency of the motor and the inefficiency of a fossil fuel car, a lot smaller motor can give you the same performance as a much larger engine. Of course, the key thing that I want to know, never having driven any sort of uh, electric bike at all, is what's it like riding one? Is it better than a fossil fuel version? They're quieter, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. They're smoother to ride because you don't have any gear changes. There's no clutch. Um, and apart from that, they're pretty much similar. I mean, it's a single speed, so you just twist and go. Again, that was Sean Metcalf. So pretty much what you would expect from an electrified version of a fossil fuel vehicle. Now, we've talked time and time again about the buying experience for electric vehicles on this podcast. Mainstream dealers don't seem to be interested in selling EVs for the most part. I wonder what Sean's buying experience was like. I bought it from a dealer in Kent, um, which was a little bit of a trek to go and test ride it, uh, as you can imagine. Um, nice road. <laughs> but it it was very easy, actually, uh, because they only sell electric uh, motorcycles, mopeds and e-bikes. Yeah, pedal ones it was really simple they knew what they were talking about and they explained anything that i needed to know it was just very simple it, unlike some people's car experiences obviously jeremy also has some thoughts on this subject the key difference is that his dealership doesn't sell any fossil fuel models they work from inventory and they encourage everyone who wants to buy a bike to come in and actually take one of the bikes out on the road several in fact and I asked him what he thought people buying electric bikes should know. Uh, well, one thing that I would like them to know is that they are still vehicles. They are still they're equivalent to vehicles in every sense. We get so many questions about, do you need a license? They are vehicles. They, they need plates, servicing, MOT after three years, you, you know, all of that. That That is a general yeah. piece of knowledge that people should come with uh, because the amount of people think that for some reason they don't need a license just because they're electric that's something uh, worthwhile. The market for electric scooters tends to be a lot bigger in places where fossil fuel scooters already dominate examples of this are India and Vietnam. Uh, now if you're interested most of the cheaper models charge using a three-pin plug whereas if you get up to the more expensive models such as the Harley-Davidson's we talked about earlier you end up with a type 2 charger. Typical charge times are anything between three and five hours, depending on the battery size. This also limits the usability at present. Obviously, electric cars have been around for a while, and there's been a big change in the models being produced now versus, say, three years back. So I wanted to know, are we behind the curve when it comes to electric bikes versus electric cars? Is the market mature? Well, this is what Jeremy thinks. It depends where you look. If you look in China, so, you know, I like been to Shanghai and Beijing and all those places. Mm -hmm. This debate is already done. People are whizzing around on these things. They might have been lead acid based yeah. back then, but electric motorcycles is done. All of these brands are coming out and they're shipping, you know, thousands of these bikes, hundreds of thousands of these bikes a year. And one of the brands uh, that we looked at are called Zongshen, ship 100,000 units, sorry, a million units a year. 
and you're thinking we're at what uh 2500 mm-hmm. <laughs> in the uk so is cost playing a part in this what seems to be happening at the moment is uh i guess it possibly is around cost so some of the uh, brands are now looking at moving away from known brands of battery as in known to us uh, and they're moving to Chinese branded batteries to me mm. I'm, I'm not too worried about that because again it's still two volt lithium-ion batteries you, you know it's not brand new technology um, yeah. so but I do think that that no one yet apart from one brand has bought out a new battery for the same bike that has increased the range what some of them have actually done the opposite brought out a lower range battery for less price um so yes i would say um that that part of the market does need to mature a little bit so who really are the main players in the market today i guess the first thing to say is that the main players that you might expect are not particularly in this area with the one exception of vespa with one model Mm -hmm. the electrica Uh, bmw have one model uh, called the C Evolution. So in the models, the brands that people know, that's it. Most of these uh, brands are Chinese, albeit with uh, sort of Bosch motors and Japanese batteries. Um, a few European brands have been around. So there's one called Silence out of Spain. Um, but the, the main market in the UK, in the sort of sub £10,000 market, is uh, Chinese-based. So if we look at the market overall... A lot of the cheaper models are Chinese. The range is limited, the charging is slow, but swappable batteries are a thing. At at first glance, it sounds quite glum, but there are two major things to remember about this. The first is that electric bikes have a specific use case at the moment. If, for example, you're a last mile delivery company and wanted to avoid the low emission zone charge in cities like London, or you're commuting a short distance and want to avoid traffic, or you're just a pleasure biker that's happy to do 50 miles on your bike and end up back at home base to recharge, They're absolutely perfect for you. But I'll let Sean Metcalf have the last word on why he loves his electric motorbike. How much does it cost you to fill your bike up with petrol? Because my bike costs me 25p. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. As you know, we're big fans of electric aviation on this podcast. So we were interested to hear that Universal Hydrogen has signed letters of intent with three airlines to convert more than 15 regional airliners to run on green hydrogen. The company's developing conversion kits that accept interchangeable hydrogen modules that work like recyclable coffee pods. They're doing this on a Dash 8 aircraft, at the de Havilland Dash 8. You'll have seen these all over the place. They're twin-engine turboprops with the high-set wing and wheels that seem to drop out of the engine pod themselves. Now, there are a few downsides to this. The pods themselves are modular fuel systems, which are seven feet long and look like massive espresso coffee pods. They do take up room in the cabin and they reduce the passenger space from 56 seats to 40. The engines are also replaced with a pair of 2 megawatt Magnix electric motors and a hefty fuel cell. Now, if Tesco is planned, we could see these in service by 2025. So, fingers crossed. And that's your show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at musingsev. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to co-fi.com slash evmusings and you can do just that. Takes Apple Pay too.
If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingZB with the words SuperSocoTC Max, hashtag if you know you know. Nothing else. By the way, that's S-O-C-O for SoCo. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know, he started meditation recently. He's trying to achieve a Zen state. He's almost there. Apparently there are different Zen modes you can get into. Because I tend to vary it between modes two and three, which are the two higher power modes. I'm Gary. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.